What is the greatest miracle in today's readings? Could it be the call of Abraham? Possibly the most pivotal story in all the Hebrew Bible since it is the very beginning of Judaism. Could it be the passage from Paul's letter to the Romans, which recounts the miraculous way that God keeps including more and more people in the promise originally given to Abraham? Or could it be one of the several miracles recounted in the passage from Matthew's gospel? A woman is healed. A woman who has basically been on her period for 12 years straight and thus cannot participate in society the way others can. A dead girl is brought back to life again. A girl Jesus insists, against all medical evidence, has only been asleep. These are all incredible miracles, and each one deserves a sermon of its own. But the miracle that most jumps out at me is the one presented with the least fanfare. You might have already forgotten that I read it. So here it is again. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Wait, you say, that's a miracle? How so? Okay, let's cast the story in the present day. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew who was very successful in the world of finance. Matthew had started as a young clerk at Money Tree and worked his way up into banking. By 2008, he had gotten rich by bundling and trading subprime mortgages. In the 15 years since, he had built up an impressive wine cellar and a collection of sports cars. He had traveled the world extensively with his family, and he frequently made large donations to politicians determined to keep his taxes as low as possible. Jesus came upon Matthew sitting on his yacht, drinking a gin and tonic in the hot summer sun. And he said to him, follow me. And Matthew stepped off the yacht and followed him. Next, Matthew invited Jesus to a party at his luxurious mansion on the Upper East Side. And the clergy heard who Jesus was hanging out with. Now, these clergy were social justice warriors. Matthew's wealth suggested to them that he only cared about himself, his trophy wife, and his attractive Ivy League college kids. And they said, well, that tells us everything we need to know about Jesus. And Jesus said to the clergy, I notice that most of the folks in your congregation are happy and well off with plenty of retirement savings to live on and plenty more assets to leave to their kids. They're not billionaires and they are honest in their dealings. But are they solving the problem of financial inequity any more effectively than Matthew is? I don't see those who are truly in need flocking through your red doors to worship there. Are you sharing your burdens 
with those whose burdens are simply different from yours? Or are you just giving them a little bit of food and saying, go away now? I'm hanging out with Matthew because he needs so much healing. Now you may think I'm being soft on sin or some such nonsense, but wait until he meets the others I'm bringing with me to his, to his swanky party. An Antifa socialist, <laughs> a sex worker, a college professor, a general contractor who still thinks Biden stole the election, a drag queen, a schizophrenic homeless woman, a cop who just realized there might be some unexamined racism in him, and a few guys who smell like they just got back from a fishing trip in Alaska. Oh, Matthew has no idea what he's in for. But the healing begins today. We might imagine that this party would crash and burn, leading Matthew to flee back to the safety of his financial bunker we find instead that Matthew becomes one of Jesus' inner circle, one of the twelve apostles. And this very gospel is written in his name. Yep, I think this is the greatest miracle we hear about today. And I know tax collectors in Jesus' time weren't living that well. They were still an occupied people just trying to eke out a living. But the Romans paid Matthew to be a cog in their machine of the systemic oppression of the Jews. What a jerk! <laughs> Matthew knew perfectly well that his own people despised him and had good reason to do so. He could have repented any time he wanted. He could have quit his job and gone to the temple, and made sacrifices and restitution. And this would have caused great joy among his fellow Jews. And he could have done this at any time. But he had never done so. So what convinced Matthew today to get out from behind the Roman-approved safety of his tax booth and follow Jesus? I guarantee it didn't happen because Jesus yelled at him about his immoral profession. I doubt Jesus whispered to him, if you don't come with me now, you'll burn forever. And I really don't think Jesus pulled a bait and switch on him, preaching an individualistic prosperity gospel and then guilt tripping him into breaking off a chunk of change for the poor. No. I think Matthew's call had everything to do with only one thing. Jesus called him. Jesus said, Matthew, I know you've got work here, but I have other work, and I think you might find it a bit more rewarding than anything money can buy. Yep, I can only assume that this sudden change had way more to do with Jesus than it did with Matthew. In our day, financial opportunists like Matthew are most definitely the problem behind many other problems. Poverty, homelessness, political polarization, systemic racism, climate change. Today's Matthew operates on such a large scale that it will be impossible to solve these problems without him changing his abusive ways. Well, we hear a lot these days about holding abusers accountable, it's language that makes some people nervous, and maybe it should. Those who have victimized others should not be allowed to get away with it. 
Criminals should be brought to justice, and this is all the more important the more people's lives they damage. Yet what our society means by justice is not what God means by justice. And here's where I find it helpful to draw some wisdom from the world of parenting. Parents, how do you feel when your child consistently breaks the rules? Wrathful, maybe? Yet the child you might label as misbehaving is not trying to aggravate you. The child is having a problem and lacks the tools to deal with that problem maturely. The parent's job isn't to terrify the child into following rules, but to help the child solve their problem in their own way, as gracefully as possible. This is how growth happens. Merely using force to teach submission can harm the child's development, stunting their capabilities, and even causing lifelong trauma. I think this is true for any of us at any age. None of us has all the maturity, all the courage that is asked of us. Nobody has it all figured out. I truly believe that our purpose in life is to struggle and grow. And I truly believe that God is helping us do so and that it is our duty to help one another struggle and grow. Punishment may interrupt an unhealthy action, but it doesn't usually plant seeds for growth. And there are definitely sinners in this world like Matthew who show no signs of repentance, not even when they are punished. Could it be that Matthew's miracle is another kind of miraculous healing? Like the one Jesus offers to the dead girl and the bleeding woman? Could it be that Matthew's miracle is crucial for redirecting our understanding of what it means to worship God? That our holiest work of all may be simply to tend fertile soil where people can choose to be planted and grow when they're ready? Could it be that Matthew's miracle points directly back to the original promise to Abraham? Paul would say so. In his letter to the Romans, he asserts that there are only two kinds of people in this world. Those who don't know the rules and those who know the rules but don't follow them. Abraham, he says, was in the first camp, since he lived long before God gave the law to Moses. Yet still, Abraham did his best to follow God, and he failed, and he tried again. Compare Abraham, says Paul, to those who have the law of Moses but persist in breaking it. Who is better off? Do you see the problem? God can't run the universe on rules. Because while rules may be a helpful yardstick for teaching us what we're guilty of, God will never force us to follow the rules. That's because the rules are not an end in themselves. It is the relationships among us that matter. And the health of our relationships with one another reflects the health of our relationship with God. Paul says that God's promise to us rests solely on God's grace. Abraham walked a journey toward faithfulness. 
Our translation has Paul writing, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. But a better translation of the Greek might be, his faith was strengthened as he gave glory to God. Passive voice. Because it is God who did the strengthening, not Abraham. And it was all a graceful gift for the purpose of Abraham's growth and for the establishment of his descendants as a light to the world. This is the miracle of mercy. And it is for all of us. Matthew, that tax collector, is now considered a saint. Wow. I don't know whether Matthew was ever punished for exploiting the poor, but it sure sounds like he was held accountable and that he was given every opportunity to learn to walk in love. I wonder what we at Good Shepherd can do next to participate in the miracle of mercy.